Committee on Fiscal Affairs uh, for April 16, uh, 2018. Um, we have action items on the agenda. Action item 1A is the approval of the minutes from our February 26th meeting. Um, are there any changes or uh, comments on the minutes? Hearing none, may uh, I'll move approval. Is there a second? Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Minister approved. I'm going to abstain. Okay. Uh, now we'll address the uh, policy uh, calendar. Um, item 1B is a resolution requesting that the Board of Trustees adopt academic excellence fees for students in eight interdisciplinary master's programs at the Graduate Center. These master's programs aim to, aim to integrate learning opportunities, skills, and experiences that best train students for a wide range of future careers into their curriculum and into the overall student experience. Additional resources are necessary to maintain and enhance the excellence of these master's offerings. The fees will be effective fall uh, of 18 uh, for that semester uh, for entering students and will be $100 per credit. The Graduate Center will deposit the academic excellence fees in its tuition and fee account. The Graduate Center will provide periodic reports to the Board of Trustees Fiscal Committee that will include the collection of academic excellence fees and associated spending to date. And by the end of September each year, the CUNY Graduate Center will provide the Board of Trustees Fiscal Committee with a full accounting of the academic excellence fees spent in the prior fiscal year. I'll call on uh, President Chase Robinson of the Graduate Center to join us at the table and to provide further background and information on this item. Thanks, President Robinson. Please uh, proceed. Thank you very much, Mr. Chair. It's a pleasure to be here. I'll just say a few words. I'd be happy to answer any questions as well. The proposal comes to the committee, uh, approved by Vice Chancellor Sapienza's Fee Review Committee, after very significant deliberation and consultation. Let me say a few words about where they fit into the Graduate Center, and then I'll say a few words about that consultation and deliberation. The Graduate Center currently has 14 master's programs. The proposal concerns eight of these. Masters of Science in Cognitive Neuroscience, in Data Science, in Quantitative Analysis in the Social Sciences, in Data Analysis and Visualization, and Masters of Arts in International Migration Studies, Liberal Studies, Middle Eastern Studies, and the Digital Humanities. These eight programs offer students outstanding academic and professional opportunities. And the excellence fee is necessary to maintain and to enhance that quality. The programs are innovative and interdisciplinary in their vision and curriculum, and they're distinctive within CUNY thanks to our concerted effort to avoid replicating master's programs offered at the campuses. Master's students are taught by full-time faculty members with outstanding academic records, including, of course, scientists at the Advanced Science Research Center, nearly 50 distinguished professors, winners of the Guggenheim Fellowship, the Nobel Prize, and the Pulitzer Prize, a rich intellectual and professional resource within the CUNY system, of course. 
Now, it's important to note that the list that I read includes only those programs that involve significant additional costs. These costs are in technology, in specialized academic advising, in professional career advising, in teaching, in extracurricular experiences, and research support. All these services which are necessary to maintain the excellence of the programs have been repeatedly requested by our students. And as the draft resolution states, these fees will be deposited in an account that is specifically assigned for accountability for how those fees are expended. The remainder of the Graduate Center's master's programs, which fall mostly in the traditional liberal arts and sciences, such as classics, philosophy, and comparative literature. These are focused more intensively on preparing students for academic study at the doctoral level, and they do not involve comparable costs. For those reasons and others, they are not included in our request for premium fees. I can give you an example or two. The Master's in Cognitive Neuroscience, for instance, well, this requires access to state-of-the-art facilities to gain experience in relevant research. These facilities include the research-dedicated magnetic resonance imaging scanner, which will allow students and faculty to non-invasively measure and visualize brain function. I could provide many more examples of specific fees or costs that must be addressed by fees. Now, I noted at the outset that the proposal comes to the committee after significant deliberation and consultation. We met with eight separate committees and groups, some as small as four or five or six, some institution-wide, and we met on no fewer than 16 occasions starting in October. These consultations have been valuable and instructive and the proposal reflects the input that we received. Finally, the Graduate Center takes very seriously its commitment to maintain affordability, and even with these fees, we believe strongly we remain affordable, comparable to our relevant peers. Thank you very much. Thank you, President Robinson. Before discussion, I'll um do I have a motion to approve and a second, and then we'll get into discussion? I'll move it. Is there a second? But can we ask a question? Or of course. Before after the, after after the, the motion. After the motion and the second. <laughs> second. Yeah. Thank you. Anyone wish to? Trustee Clark. Um, I have a what if question. And the what if um, a student is exceptionally smart, bright, and could fit in one of these categories, but the $100 was a struggle um, for them. Are there any exceptions? What we are hoping to do as our budget situation normalizes, um, uh, we introduced last year uh, a number of limited scholarships to our master's programs, and we have plans provided our budget can account for them, to double or triple the number of scholarships we offer in our master's programs. 
those scholarships would include these fees. Thank you. Uh, so when you give the example of the cognitive neuroscience, it makes very clear why you might need it for that particular field of study. But what about liberal studies? So the Masters in Liberal Studies is doing, uh, uh, undertaking a number of services in order to address students' needs. For instance, we're putting in place specialized career advising. We're putting in place internships. We're putting in place special programs designed to create community and to assist with career networking and advancement. I'd be happy to, to, uh, to answer more specific questions, but the main categories as far as MALS is concerned is advising internships, innovations and in curriculum, research funds, and building a professional community. I should say that the executive officer in the MAUS program, which enrolls over 300 students, held no fewer than four open house sessions in order to consult and received uh, a great deal of feedback, much of it positive for the introduction of these fees, precisely because they would allow her to deliver services our students want. I mean, I just, my, my only question is, so far the examples you gave seem to be something that should be kind of what a program should provide as a basic service. Um, so is it, does this $100 go to hiring an additional person to counsel on careers, career advancement or internships? Or is it more just, I don't know, I, I haven't quite heard something that says. A bit of background might be useful. Um, the answer to, to that question is yes. The Graduate Center, as members of this committee will know, uh, was designed and engineered and has uh, a structure and an administrative organization and a student services, all of which are designed to deliver doctoral education. Um, we have moved from a situation in which we had um, six masters to now 14 and more uh, on their way. It is, of course, uh, the case that the career needs of master's students, although they overlap to some extent with doctoral students, particularly in those doctoral programs which are of a professional nature, in the great majority of cases they do not. And so we are working hard, and we've been doing it so far, um, largely as a result of imposing efficiencies to provide the same level of support and student services for our master's students that our doctoral students have come to, um, come to expect. And so um, in, in, in this and in other cases, we're very much responding to students' need in a new category of students new to the Graduate Center. Yes, Trustee Conway, and I'm sorry. Do all of these master's programs that are outlined here have students currently in the, this term? Uh, no. I think two or th um, four of them do. So the others, we're raising the fees before we've enrolled students to provide services for students. We, like we are don't introducing even have a sense yet of the the demand on our existing facilities or services, et cetera. No, we have we have a good sense of demand in part because um, 
uh, not only because four of the programs already exist, but in those that do not, we've been offering courses in, for instance, quantitative analysis and social sciences, data analysis and visualization, digital humanities, the courses and the costs that, is, that, that, that are associated with delivering those curricula, those are well known to us even in advance of the appearance of, of, doc, of, of master students. So are the students that are taking the courses in digital humanities or the others that you mentioned, are they non-matriculating students or are they doctoral students who are taking those courses now? Who's taking those courses? It's a combination of doctoral students, non-matriculating students, and students in, in liberal studies. Chase, just a, a couple of questions just to better understand the implication for our students. Pick any one of these and tell me to get my uh, MS in cognitive neuroscience, what does this $100 per credit mean by way of increase for me? How many credits do I need to get that degree? So um, uh, you need 30 credits. 30. You need 30. So it's 30 times 100. 30 times 100. So the... Um, 30 credits for a master's? Mm -hmm. Yes. Without a... That's typical of liberal arts master's, not of like an MBA would be okay. more than double that. My mistake. Are all of these roughly the same, 30 credits? Yes, they're all 30 credits. Okay, so 30 times 100, that's the increase that's right. that we'd be asked to approve. That's right. Okay. And in, in terms of the... Uh, uh, in the explanation, it says students will pay much lower tuition than other leading institutions in the area. Can you give us an example of that? Take a comparable place, uh, you pick it, and tell me what the tuition is there and what our tuition will be with this increase. I'd be happy to. Um, uh, I could start with Columbia and NYU, where of sure. course would remain a very, very small fraction. Net of these fees, the degree itself would cost $16,200 at Columbia. Uh, $16,200 at the Graduate Center and $62,000 at Columbia. Or at NYU, again, Graduate Center at 16200 NYU, 66360 But perhaps it's more apposite to mention a public or two. Rutgers, again, the Graduate Center, net of these fees, 16200 Rutgers would be 22770 Binghamton would be about $600 more than what we're currently $800 more than what we plan net again of the introduction, we would be on par within $4 of SUNY Stone. Great. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, Ms. I have a list of questions. So the first question is, what was the student response when you initially proposed these fees? Because my understanding is they were initially supposed to be master-wide, so not just these programs. The second one is, that the GC is in the process of hiring a dean for master's students. So if there's already money for creating a new administrative position, would it not be better spent directly funding these insufficiencies in these programs? What additional resources can we expect? Like, for example, you mentioned career services. Ms. Salvi, excuse the interruption. Yes. These are good questions. Let them answer them one at a time. All right. You know I have a list, though. We got time. Great. <laughs> And I'm confident you do. I'm up to three so far. <laughs> well, let, let's take those. <laughs> Very well. So um, it, it was initially envisioned, or there was certainly some discussion underway and public discussion. As you point out, 
um, that these would be institution-wide master's programs, uh, uh, master's fees. Um, but after uh, the consultation that I described with both students and faculty, it became clear that the pressing needs were more specific and the pressing needs were program-specific especially. Um, so there were a couple significant changes, again, that resulted from the consultation that we undertook in the fall and the early winter. One was to move from that across-the-board institutional master's fee to one which is program-specific. And another um, was to introduce the fee in the fall only for those students who would be starting uh, a, a degree. Um, uh, we felt strongly that um, it, was, uh, it was being insensitive to the budgetary uh, planning of our current students had we uh, introduced uh, a fee on top, of course, of the, uh, of the increased tuition, uh, a matter which is, as you know, outside of our authority. You are right, we are making some investments for the reasons that I've already described in our infrastructure. We currently have about 500 master's students. That number will be increasing. Those students deserve the same level of support that our doctoral students receive. And as I said a moment ago, um, the institution that is the Graduate Center in 2016, 17, and 18 is for the most part an institution which was designed and which has grown in order to provide services to doctoral students. So uh, uh, the provost and her deans and the vice presidents, their work, as efficient as it is, has been designed and executed mainly to support that constituency of students. And it strikes us as altogether fair and proper that we make some modest investments, and modest they will be, because after all, there are very considerable efficiencies in admissions, in the registrar, in financial aid, in infrastructure, in all sorts of ways, um, such that uh, our master's degrees will be affordable and uh, gain from the efficiencies of that base population of doctoral students. You asked a third question, which I jotted down, but I can't read my handwriting. Yes, because you've been mentioning different kinds of services that these students will be provided. Academic advisement, for example, different kinds of workshops, etc. Can you give me a breakdown of exactly how that money will be spent? No. Um, we, uh, uh, I, I, in part for the reasons that, that, uh, uh, that Kay just mentioned. In some cases, uh, these are uh, costs that have been estimated. We're delighted uh, uh, to see the resolution feature the deposit of the fees uh, uh, so that um, there is a process in place for reporting to the Board of Trustees, a process that in fact will mirror our own internal budgeting as we ensure that those fees collected are, are allocated in the most efficient and cost-effective way. So in some cases, some costs, for instance, maintenance of an MRI machine, uh, um, th that, is, uh, that is easier to estimate than, uh, for instance, um, the putting on of um, 
of professional advising and mentoring, which we'll do in such a way that is, on the one hand, the, the fee will be program specific, but we hope to introduce uh, efficiencies such that advisors uh, trained in providing professional support to master's students uh, can, be, uh, can be as efficiently deployed as possible. Those costs will become clear over the next year or two, and we'll revisit our use of these fees to ensure that they are very well spent. The reason I'm asking for a breakdown is because when you mentioned the MRI machine, you said that students and faculty would be using this machine. You also talked about infrastructure, such as the, using the registrar's office, for example. Both of those are things that are not program specific and are specifically designed for the students that are paying the fee. So I'm That's concerned, especially given the consortial nature of the GC, that those students who are paying the extra $100 per credit are the ones that are bearing the cost, while other people, such as faculty using the MRI machine, or other master's students, or even doctoral students who are in a shared class with MA students, will also be indirectly benefiting. So that's why I'm asking for a specific breakdown of how you specifically intend to use these funds. The, um, the shared services, the operating budget, the support that goes to offices at the Graduate Center, offices that deliver services to doctoral students and to master's students, those, uh, as uh, Vice Chancellor Sapienza knows as well as I, are supported through the allocation that the Graduate Center receives. The costs that I've described that are specific to programs will be covered by these fees. It is, of course, the case that as our enrollment of master's students increases, the revenue that uh, is associated with the tuition they will pay, that, that they will pay will continue to allow us to invest in the, that shared infrastructure. That is how the costs will be allocated. Um, I'm just curious, Chase, about the timing of you're putting this in place in the fall semester. When do we accept students into a graduate program? At what point are we telling them this is the tuition for fall? The, um, the, the vast majority of the deadlines uh, take place in April and May, and they're often, often extended to June and even July in the case of the MALS program. So there is adequate time to inform incoming students of the revised fees. Oh, and what, what's the proportionate increase? What's the cost per credit now? Um, I believe believe it is, well, I have the base tuition cost now. It's $440 a credit. I'm sorry. Now. Mm -hmm. Now it's $440. So it's going up 25%, right? $100 a credit, roughly, a little less than right. that. And is tuition going up or fees? Same no, thing. this is a fee is per a credit. Yeah. So it's, it's the equivalent. I mean, if they're paying $440 a credit, now it's going to be $540. So you're calling it tuition? Uh, no, he, I'm calling, calling it a fee. It, a fee. <laughs> it is saying, a fee. I'm saying, but, but what the students have to pay, right, if I understand what you're saying, is right now they're paying 440 and they're going to have to be paying 540 That's correct. Right? So 20-some-odd percent of an increase. And I'm just wondering how many students we've already accepted for the fall who, you know, it may not sound like a lot of money to us, but if a student is planning on spending a year going to school full-time and master's students don't get aid, 
to now be told after they've made this decision, well, I'm not going to apply anywhere else. I got into CUNY. It's going to cost me X. Now to here, I have a 20 some odd percent increase in that cost. That doesn't seem like reasonable timing. Well, a couple of points, one of which I've already mentioned, which is even net of the increase, uh, the um, introduction of this fee, we remain extremely affordable by all local standards. That's point number that. one. Point number two, very few students at this point, uh, at this date in April, have committed um, to doing a master's at the Graduate Center. The, as I said, the majority of the deadlines take place in April and May, and they're often extended to June or July. That's point one and two. I should say here, of course, that there is, uh, the Graduate Center is not blazing a path in the, in, in the introduction of these fees. We may be coming to this committee for eight programs for which we feel it necessary to collect fees. But as this committee will know much better than I, CUNY colleges have been bringing precisely such fees to this committee for several years now. Uh, uh, not only did we undertake that careful deliberation, that very broad consultation, but we, um, we thought long and hard in advance of this year, doing our best to provide the services that our master's students deserve in these programs. And we found ourselves unable to expand the services that they deserve, and we decided following in the footsteps, as it were, of many CUNY colleges to request permission to introduce this fee. One last question, because our chair raised it when he questioned whether it was tuition or whether it was fees. I didn't question it. I'm trying to understand. I understand. It. Right. But it, it raises another point. I'm presuming, and master students don't get tapped, they don't get Pell, et cetera. They may be, there are scholarships out there, whether they're internal, external. Is there any benefit or disadvantage of something being a fee versus being tuition when a student is looking to get external support? I have no idea. I don't know if that's an issue. I think it is a source of some um, considerable comfort and confidence to the faculty and to the executive officers, the directors of, of the relevant master's programs, that the fees, the disbursement of the fees, is so highly restricted such that they are confident that the fees which are generated as a result of this proposal would be spent directly to deliver the services and cover the costs that are specific to those students. Unlike, for instance, the fungible case that is tuition income. And Mr. Chairman, if I can, just in response to Trustee Conway's question. Um, the issue that we have with tuition is in New York State, we have to charge the same rate for all degrees. So all MS degrees have to be the same tuition. All MA degrees have to be the same tuition, regardless of whatever discipline it's in. And that was so, a distinction I was urging in the conversation. So we don't have an option regardless of whether or not there's any other issue for students. Right. Thank you for reminding me of that, Matt. So the question is then, 
I mean, being my first year on the board, so um, I've seen academic excellence fees being introduced. Mm -hmm. My recollection is that when colleges have introduced it, it's usually a per annual annum fee. It's an annual fee. It wasn't tied into credit. Have we had other instances where the academic excellence fee was tied directly per credit? I believe yes. All yeah. yes. Yes. This year? Were they introduced this year? I'm well, not well, sure. I mean, I'm, as a board member, I, I, you know, while I've been on the board, yeah. has there have there been instances that have been tied directly per credit? The resolutions yes. that, yes. that have been brought before this committee have yes. all been tied to credits. Yes. Has always been tied yeah. to credits. But it makes sense for master's program to tie it to credits because then students aren't paying the same freight if they're only attending part-time versus full-time. You don't have a, like if you made it just a flat fee, $1,000 a year, additional fees, whatever it mm -hmm. might be. Yeah. Well, but even for undergraduates though, right? We've had it per type we two credit. We haven't approved any academic excellence fees for undergraduate programs. Not right? for undergraduate, right. Only for oh, graduate. For graduate. So like Fierstein, the, I think yeah. we did something yes. with that, right? Graduate. Correct. That was, I know that's graduate, graduate, but that was per credit? Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Yep, okay. Yes. But, Mr. Chairman, if I, if I may, because um, Trustee Kim raised a good point about that we have brought several academic excellence fees to this committee over the last several months. And so what I'd like to propose, um, rather than every single month coming back to this committee with two or three new academic excellence fees every single month, um, is that what we'd like to do administratively is to create a process where we work with the colleges to get a sense of what academic fees or any additional fees that they're thinking of proposing for the next academic year and work with them so that we have one process so that we're coming to you as a committee um, at one point rather than every single month introducing a few new fees. Um, but again, leave that open to the committees. Um, can we stay on this one question instead of veering off into a whole lot of different areas? I know Ms. Salvi had a couple of other questions. Have we answered the questions that are on the table up to this point? I, I, I think we have, except I'd just like to make one comment. <clears throat> uh, Matt, you'll recall that you and I had conversations about these academic excellence fees uh, yes. when I sat in, in your chair. Yes. Uh, I was not a proponent of these academic excellence fees because they were rather ad hoc. <clears throat> uh, they lacked transparency from a budgetary standpoint, but I understood your explanation, which you again have provided here today. My recollection is that we left the topic by saying, isn't there something we can do by way of bringing about a change so that these academic ex excellence fees, which for the student is a cost, we call it tuition or not, yes. it's a cost. Is there a way that we can make some change administratively, and I, I'm not quite sure how to do that, so that we can make this part of the budgetary process as opposed to having these separate conversations from time to time, even with the order that you intend to impose on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that um, that, that would um, you know, definitely be a preferred way to go. I, I think that um, the language that we've added to the resolutions um, regarding the depositing of the revenues and the accounting and reporting back to the fiscal committee is is a, is a helpful step. Um, so again, we're, we're grateful for the committee's support in, in adding that language in. So um, 
Yeah, I think the reporting back and the accountability for campuses and for you know the university system office to um, make sure that the funds are being used in the manner in which they were approved um, is something that we need to do and that we will do. And that they were proposed. I, I, I want to let everybody know, CFO and I have been talking about this, so that the ad hoc nature of all of this doesn't go down with anybody, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems to be untethered to, I know it's a word being used a lot lately, but <laughs> um, it seems to be untethered to any long-term strategy or policy. Um, and you can't continue that way. It's a, it's a practical matter, so um, we have been chatting about an internal process that will evaluate this, put it in some sort of framework and have it make sense not only to the proposing institution, but to the rest of the university. You will see, um, I think as further presentations, there are some real fiscal problems that are not of an institution's making. And we as a university are going to have to come to grips with that and deal with it. But that's a different policy item, not this one. Um, you had some more? Yes. The first question is, who suggested the language of depositing the funds in a specific account or a specific budget line? Actually, it was uh, approved um, when we did this in the early rounds with Baruch. And it seems to be a very, very good way of achieving some accountability. You don't want to approve a fee and then, how is this spent? Well, I, I, the way I remember it, that's not good enough. Um, so that's what we are seeking to do here. Is that part of the mechanism that you're describing going forward? I can start to expect seeing a, a, a separate budget line. Mm -hmm. The answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes. Um, the second question goes back to President Robinson. When I so I've served on grad council for a number of years, and I remember many of these master's programs being the new uh, resolutions being passed. So I looked up the old proposals. So if we talk about the proposal for QMSS, for example, it says, this program will build on existing graduate center courses in the sociology and educational psychology program and draw on other courses, right? If we look at, I believe this is the MS in cognitive neuroscience, part of the reasoning for creating this MS is said that active full-time tenured or or uh, tenure-track faculty have a limited number of doctoral students that they can work with, and there's a large defici deficiency in the number of students uh, of students that are seeking neuroscience. In other words, many of these programs were proposed and approved by Graduate Council on the basis that their number of doctoral students was decreasing, and so we needed master's students to fill those MDCs that we would be working together. So again, I'm really at a loss to understand how, if it wasn't in the proposal, how we are now seeing the creation of, for example, uh, consultation programs or workshops or training or all of these things that were not in the proposal before for master's students. 
Well, such language would not go in a proposal that, mm -hmm. that, that goes to our grad council. As you know, the grad council's authority lies over academic affairs. Mm -hmm. And so the case that was made in the grad council was an academic case. The reasons that you adduced uh, were true then, they're true now, and they'll be true in the future, which is to say we have an exceptionally well-qualified faculty. We have deep and broad interest in the part of our students and faculty, not just to teach within their doctoral <coughs> programs, but to innovate and to offer new master's programs. We've seen that, for instance, in women and gender studies. That was, uh, uh, for many years, uh, a, a, a well-represented center with active research and students involved. It found expression uh, as a program, uh, as, a, as an incipient program in our Masters of Liberal Studies. Its enrollment to judge from enrollment within MALS was robust. And so those who wanted to offer that master's program took a proposal, made the academic case, which in part was based on, on pre-existing teaching resources, and it prevailed in grad council. And that's precisely the kind of transformation, the emergence of, of, new, of new master's programs that we see. So the fact that, that specific costs were not enumerated in proposals to our grad council, um, that really is a separate operation. The last comment that I would like to make is, number one, this adversely affects international students who, in order to keep their F1 and J1 visas, have to meet a certain uh, financial requirement. Number two, I am very strongly opposed to this, and well, any tuition or uh, fee hikes, academic excellencies, whatever you want to call them. Really, there were a, I see them as a workaround for increasing tuition. And the students at the Graduate Center, the master's students that were initially approached and told that there would be a possibility of an academic excellence fee, strongly opposed it and continue to oppose it, even if they are not the ones that are going to be affected. Those incoming students will be. So did grad council. If I may, of course it's the case that um, we are very sensitive to hardship, be it for students who are um, paying in-state or those students who are paying out-of-state, including, as you point out, those students who might come from abroad. Um, it might interest this committee, again, in support of um, our, our, our strong argument that even net these fees, we remain very affordable. The cost for the degree for out-of-state students, well, we would be $9,000 less than Rutgers, $3,000 less than Stony Brook, $4,000 less than SUNY Binghamton, and of course, $40,000, $50,000 less than Columbia or NYU. We are very sensitive to hardship. We remain extremely affordable. Okay. Is there any other trustee with a question or comment? If there is none, I guess we're ready to call the question. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Nay. Abstaining? No abstaining. Policy item carried. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Policy item 2B consists of two resolutions, both of which are requesting academic excellence fees for certain graduate programs at the City College. Um, 
In accord with President Boudreaux's request, however, we will only be considering the first resolution at this evening's meeting. The second resolution is a proposal for academic excellence fees for graduate programs at the Groves School of Engineering. President Boudreaux has requested more time for faculty and student consultation before the committee considers this proposal. Therefore, the only resolution under policy item 2B that we are considering is a request that the Board of Trustees adopt a schedule of academic excellence fees for all students in graduate programs in the Spitzer School of Architecture at City College, effective fall 2018 semester. Rapidly expanding demands on architectural professional education are causing steady increasing, steadily increasing cost pressures on schools of architecture throughout the country and particularly on the Spitzer School. The academic excellence fee will be $500 per semester for graduate students. City College will deposit the academic excellence fees in its tuition fee account. We have to talk about this. In a tuition and fee account. Well, in its tuition, they have one, each college has one tuition and fee. And we're, and we're not segregating it for They'll be able to account for it separately, um, but it'll... It I'd like to see that. How does that work? I, I, I think not maybe for right now, but towards that point, I'd like to see our committee work on this idea of, you know, the, the template for reporting back, because whether it's in a separate account or whether it's in the same account, we know money is fungible, so yeah. yes. if you generate $100,000 worth of fees, you can show us next year, this is how I spent $100,000, but that doesn't tell us what else happened with the funding for that program, you know, and how, what the delta was. So. Well, we can set Matt, up. we got to change this language now. Okay. We, we can set up distinct <laughs> codes in our system in CUNY First. That's coding. That can track the, the revenues and the expenses specifically that's being generated from the fee and it's being spent on it. So um, we are able to account for it, even though it's going into the main tuition and fee account. So the charge is specific. So the char it's charged by a specific code for the fee, and so the collection is recorded specifically by the fee. And yeah, we can also set yeah, an no, expense I have code. A, I have a different. Okay. Concern. Well, the, before oh, we get sorry, into that, sorry. I want to finish this resolution, and then you know, we'll stay here until four in the morning if we need to. <laughs> um, I want to make sure that that's the case because coming back to this committee and if the. Uh, if the report is uh, less than satisfying, that's going to be a problem yeah. going forward. Um, City College will deposit the academic excellence fees in its tuition and fee account. With all of the uh, uh, embellishments that you have just described, Correct. and account for and report on the academic excellence fees separately by program. City Correct. College will provide periodic reports to the Board of Trustees Fiscal Committee that will include the collection of academic excellence fees and associated spending to date. By the end of September of each year, City College will provide the Board of Trustees Fiscal Committee with a full accounting of the academic excellence fees spent in the prior fiscal year. Uh, President Bedreau, along with Interim Dean of Architecture Gordon Gebert, uh, how do you pronounce? That's right. That's right. Uh, I got it right the first time. Uh, and CCNY's uh, Senior Vice President and COO Len uh, Zenanti uh, are here to give the committee additional information on this proposal. 
gentlemen. Yeah, please join. So a, a, a couple of things on this uh, specific proposal. You, you have it in front of you. Um, we have did two consultations with the students, one in the fall, one in the spring. Um, and, and pretty quickly the conversation with the students moved away from how much it was going to cost them to what they felt they needed from, from the fees. The, the field of architecture, as you see in the proposal, is evolving quite rapidly and, and particularly in two directions. We're, we're starting to bring in experts in in-studio consultations that are not accounted for in our tax levy budgets. These are not adjuncts or full-time faculty members, but practicing architects, particularly as the students start to work in innovative materials. Um, and the field is, is moving very quickly in areas of, of, of automation, video design, computer-based and digital design, for which we have um, some facilities but not adequate facilities. So I think it's safe to say that, that the, the bulk of the conversation once we started talking to the students was them saying, well, I've wanted to do this, but we don't have the facilities to do you know, this kind of design or, or, or that kind of design. Um, we remain the least expensive uh, architectural option uh, in the area. Uh, with this fee, we will be $1,500 less expensive, a little, less, little more than that than, than Buffalo State, which is the, the, the SUNY's architecture school, cheaper than uh, Amherst, which is uh, about $1,500 more than ours. And then you start getting into Rutgers, we're $3,000 less expensive with this fee than they are. So it, 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 it continues to be a, a a, a jewel box at City College. It's a fairly small program. It's a capped program. There are uh, 131 uh, graduate students in this program, 400 undergraduates. So one of the things that makes make it work is it's run on a studio basis. The students work in studios very closely with, with faculty members. And what we've been doing over the last couple of years is making those studios larger and larger and larger. And so the second complaint the students have had is, is that they didn't feel they were getting uh, a, as much critical attention from faculty members. And so this would be an opportunity to keep the studios either the size that they're at or, or, or make them smaller. And we think this is necessary to keep what is an excellent program competitive. Uh, would you like to add uh, something? Uh, nothing to add at this point. <clears throat> okay. Trustee Conway, Trustee Kim, Trustee Clark. You mentioned Buffalo, and I didn't look beforehand, so shame on me, but don't we have an architecture program at New York City College of Technology? We do have an architecture program there, but it is not an accredited program. Uh, it's a four-year program. It's open admissions, uh, and uh, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't have nearly the, uh, the needs and the uh, uh, demands on it that we have as a professional program with accreditation requirements and, and other professional requirements. Well, one of the things that, that, that drives our, some of our particular cost structure is accreditation. And, and so we've been in a, you know, a, a pretty thorough hiring freeze for the last two years on campus to deal with fiscal realities. And one of the, the big differences or, or exceptions to that is in our professional programs that are accredited, we'll get, you know, despite your fiscal situation, you must hire two or three or four people in these positions. So it drives costs up in the program. I should also point out there are three disciplines involved. There's architecture, which is the lion's share of the students, two degrees, a professional degree and a post-professional degree. There's also landscape architecture, uh, again, a professional degree, three years, and a uh, post-professional degree, and then urban design. 
So it's, it's uh, we, we talk about it generically as architecture, but it's actually three very separate uh, and very important uh, disciplines. Actually, Kim? So in this case, it's more of a comment, but going back to Matt, what you said mm -hmm. previously about wrapping all these excellence fees into one package, mm -hmm. the difference between this presentation, first of all, is that it's $500 per semester. It's not tied to credit, so then it doesn't seem that we're trying to backdoor a tuition hike on the students. That's number one. Number two, specifically, it lays out exactly what it's being used for. Um, President Robinson beforehand came in, and I think when you put eight majors that are very distinct and say it's $100 per credit for each of these because our analysis is that each one of these eight different majors requires that without a full explanation on each major, it's kind of unfair to ask the board to say blanket-wise, yes, this is what we're going to give you for all eight majors. Um, you know, he gave a great example about cognitive neuroscience, but his liberal studies explanation, I didn't think warranted the increase. So it can't, if you're going to do it, I think it should be done in this form where it's very clear what the money is being used for and it's explained specifically one, two, three, and based on the conversation with the students. Um, that's what I'd like to see if you are going to create a package that every pr resolution comes in this format, not the previous format. Got it. Thank Trustee you. Kim, your, your point is well taken, which is the reason why we have agreed on putting together a process right. where this is all this, this is all got to go through one framework and be presented to the committee and to the board uh, accordingly. Trustee Clark. I just want to expand on what um, Trustee Kim has said. I would like very much to understand when somebody come in with a comparison of what is paid at Rutgers, what is paid at this one, what is paid at the next one. It means nothing to me as a trustee, knowing the investment that our state make in our colleges, what our city invests in our colleges, and I think we're sometimes um, apples and oranges we're measuring. I don't know any qualified, well, I, I should take that back, but um, most of our students who come to CUNY, I don't think they're aspiring to go to Rutgers. I don't think they're aspiring to go to Buffalo. Nor should so, they. Nor should they. <laughs> nor should they. So I think we need to concentrate on what is CUNY what we need to do and what kind of investment need to be made rather than going through the back door of increasing tuition. That, because that's what it is to me and as chair of student affairs, it is kind of pushing me the wrong direction. I want to be able to cooperate. I want to be able to be able to explain to students how and why, but then when you tell me Rutgers is doing this and this college is doing that, it has nothing to do with New York or with CUNY. And I just want to be able to understand that if I'm going to make an ask and a push, we know what we're pushing for. Anyone else? Uh, yes, Trustee Schwartz. I, I just want to understand the numbers from the student's perspective and then against what you identify here as the intended uses for the additional monies. So it's 500 per semester, as Trustee Kim pointed out, times how many students and therefore how much money? So as um, as uh, Dean Gebert said, there, there are three separate programs. Mm -hmm. 
So it's 131 students. So $131,000 a year. And that's going to cover all these things that you say you want to do. It will correct? help us do something in each one of those realms. It's going to help you, but it's yes. not going to cover. Just so you understand that, Trustee mm -hmm. Kim. Yeah. <clears throat> because from my perspective, these are just these are additional costs. Whether you call them excellence fees per credit, excellence fees per semester, they're additional costs for our students. That's, right. that's not to say that we shouldn't entertain them. But from a budgetary standpoint, which is my next question, uh, there's just a lack of transparency about all this that has bothered me from the moment I faced my first academic excellence fee, whether per credit or per semester. So in the whereas in this resolution, uh, in the uh, third paragraph, it says, the current tuition generated by the Spitzer School of Architecture is not enough to cover programmatic costs. I, I don't doubt that. Yeah. Tell me what's the delta. Between How short are you? About it's, it's a there's a three million dollar difference between tuition revenues in the Spitzer School and the budget of the Spitzer School, and that's something that you know we have three programs in our college with that kind of a delta. The, the delta in engineering is twelve million dollars, and in the sciences it's no I'm sorry sciences is about three million. It's about one point five million in architecture. So that's the delta for the program as it's currently run. Um, when you asked, will these cover these costs? Well, well, no. What we're trying to do is split the difference between what we think we can ask students, um, what the costs would be if we were running a program um, where the budget was no object, and um, you know what we think their needs are. I want to say something about this program. This is a, it's a boutique curated program, if you put a dot, a red dot on a map of New York with every building that a Spitzer School graduate had, had influenced, it would be a sea of red. It, it, this produces architects that have, have built New York City. What they, if you go into their beautiful new building, they've got fantastic space, they've got great gallery space, but increasingly since it was built, the technological needs have, have not kept up with, with the facilities. So if, if, if we said start and design this program um, from the top, we would probably invest $10 million in technology in, in the school. The money that we're asking for will allow us year in and year out to make a difference, and we'll look for other sources of support for these exact same kind of things. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, you, you come here, and I accept you come here in good faith, and you need this money for these particular items, and if this question gets called, I'm going to be in support of it. But I would urge you, and you're new to now being responsible mm -hmm. up there, these differences between your costs yeah. of a program uh, and, and your budget have to be recognized and resolved. Yes. And it's not going to get resolved by academic excellence fees. So you've got to think through a budgetary process up there where maybe we can be helpful or not, where you can bridge this gap. Because if you can't, then you have to ask yourself, is this question affordable by us any longer? Right. If, if I can answer broadly, coming into the job and looking at the fiscal realities of the school, one of the things we looked at very, very early on was the cost of educating our students. And, and not surprisingly, you look at the liberal arts programs in our schools, and most of them generate a million or two dollars over their budget. The, the school that I'm familiar with, the Colin Powell School, would generate about three million dollars in, in, in tuition over budget share. The financial model we had been spending following for about five years was if you lost enrollment, you would lose budget share. 
And so the way that played out is engineering and not so much architecture because it was capped, was adding students because they could. And every student cost twice as much as they were paying in tuition revenue. And when humanities, arts, social sciences, education would lose students, even though they were still a profitable enterprise, they would have a budget cut. And so if you, if you, if you map that onto uh, a business strategy for dealing with hardship, would you cut your most profitable units and put money into the, into the, the more expensive ones? So we're going through right now what I've called the task force on the, city, on the future of City College, where we're taking a look at the shape of the college as it's evolved in the last <coughs> years and mapping that against fiscal realities. And, and you know, not just how profitable is a, is a division or a school as against tuition revenues, but how successful are they? Are they meeting the demands of the job market? Are they, are they meeting, um, are they getting grants? Are faculty getting grants? Are they making an impact on the social sphere? So there is a longer term plan to look at the size of City College and think about what the different units cost. And, and we haven't really done that in, in a very long time. Um, and there are other things that we must do. We're in the process of revamping our philanthropic operation and with, with already some pretty good success. And talking to the board about of the foundation about not just allocating scholarships, but using some of the unrestricted resources to make an investment in the operation expense. So, so I think we look at all, you know, three or four of these different things and come at with what has been about a pretty stable eight, nine million dollar deficit for the last five years that has been patched up by some philanthropic spending and some Kutra distri distribution, but really has existed as a pretty stable part of our existence. So I, I, so I, I take the point, and it's, it's, it's one of my most important tasks. And Thank this you. is what I was alluding to uh, previously during President Robinson's uh, presentation, that we're going to have to come to grips with some larger issues here, the dimensions of which are much larger, way bigger, a lot more full of impact than what we're discussing here on these. Right. Uh, yes, Ms. Salvi and then Professor Bazzani. I wanted to second and third what uh, Trustee Kim and Clark had said before about the formatting and the addition. Like, that's very helpful. And I do appreciate the breakdown of knowing exactly where these fees would go. You did, however, mention that when you were consulting with students, they quickly moved from how much to what services they wanted. So could you tell us a little bit more about how many consultations you had with students, who you consulted with, uh, for example, the SGA, and also if you have any letters of support or, or anything that students said sh demonstrating that they support this initiative? So there were two consultations, one in the fall semester, one in the spring semester. It was with the graduate student community community of the Spitzer School. So not, not, not the SGA, although there are SGA representatives among those graduate students. Okay. Dean Giebert conducted the consultation, so I'll, I'll, I'll ask him to tell you some of the specifics of what was said there. Thank you. Uh, the students were notified that we had a very important issue to, uh, to discuss. Uh, the buzz around the school was tuition. Uh, and in fact, the attendance was fairly low, as is always, almost always the case with these with the bodies. Um, the, uh, the discussion was pretty spirited because it moved immediately from, oh, well, here's what we need. Uh, and in fact, uh, some of the things that you see there in the, in the uh, resolution, uh, the, the specifics came out of the first consultation. 
had a subsequent consultation. Fewer people showed up. Again, they wanted to discuss what we would do with the money. Uh, I think transparency is, is a constant theme as well. And I must say the same with the faculty. Faculty a little less specific about what's needed because they, we all discuss this uh, out infinitum month after month. But uh, it was seen as a, as a necessary step in order for us to keep our standing, to keep our accreditation, and to really serve the students as professionals as, as we need to serve them. Would any of, since you're talking especially number one and two, supplement regular full-time and adjunct courses uh, with specialists, uh, maintain and reduce section sizes, does that translate to faculty hires at all? or it's Not full-time. Uh, you must remember that the uh, New York City is the design capital of the world. Probably more design is done in this city than any other city <coughs> in the world. There are many, many professionals uh, who are very eager to come to design schools such as ours and spend six hours a week, four hours a week, uh, less or sometimes more as adjuncts uh, mostly uh, and uh, to become specialists. And, and we try to rotate them so that we bring the freshest possible uh, knowledge back into the classroom for our students. And uh, kind of hidden agenda is it it's enhances the networking. Um, many of those folks that come into the classes get to know our students and end up hiring our students, which of course is very beneficial for both parties. Professor Rosani. Um, I find the numbers between this and the engineering school a bit confusing, and maybe you can walk me through it, unless you've already done it, because I came late. Um, the engineering school proposal is 250 per student per semester, yet there's a $12 million deficit, as mentioned, and the architecture students, it's $500 per student per semester, and yet there's a $3 million deficit. One generates more money, the architecture about 420K, the other about 250K. Um, they both seem inadequate, both those numbers, to address what you're saying you're going to do. And I'm curious how you came up with these numbers, especially in light of your comment about what the market may bear, because you also mentioned the median salaries are higher for engineers than for architects. Yeah. So, so first of all, to, to be clear, we, we pulled the engineering proposal off the table. We're only dealing with the architecture proposal. And it was pulled for? Uh, for a further consultation. I, I will ask. Uh, President Boudreau to uh, address that after we've done this. Okay. All right. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the way an, an excellence fee is, is structured, the rules that, that attach to it, you're not really able to use an excellence, excellence fee to plug a budget hole. It, it's not what it's intended to do. A, an excellence fee is designed to enhance a program by doing things that you're not currently able to do fiscally. And, and in fact, the you know, this was a, this was a part of the conversation we had both with faculty and students. Despite these college-wide deficits, you, know, you 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 can't you can't say to a group of students, "We're going to charge an excellence fee and make your program excellent" as a way of paying the central administration of the college back from the, from, from the debt. So we are, we are left with um, in the engineering school uh, for, and I can talk about that in a little bit later. A, a, a smaller excellence fee that conforms to the rules of an excellence fee. What enhancements do they need? And I can talk about that. And the same with, with architecture. The, the, the things that we need to do 
to write the fiscal ship of City College involves the things that I that I was talking about, and I had I had hoped originally um, that some of these fees might be part of it, but this is a, it's, a, it's a complicated conversation, I believe, both at this level and and on my campus that that I. I, I agree with, with the sentiments that uh, Trustee Ferrer said, that, that rather than coming at these things through the back door as a way of, of fixing a fiscal problem, we should fisca, fix a fiscal problem directly and use excellence fees to do what they're supposed to do, which is enhance programs. Uh, before, of course. Is there anyone else? Okay, Ms. Alvey. I really appreciate your candor. I really appreciate that you brought this to students and you worked this um, according to their needs. I, I'm not going. I'm going to abstain simply on the grounds that I oppose any kind of academic excellency. But I wanted to say that I appreciate what you've brought to the table. Thank you. Um, I would like to see when you propose the one for engineering some kind of proof that the students not only were consulted, but that they are an active part of this. Um, the only time that I ever approved an academic excellence fee, they had brought a letter signed by the students. But I, I personally would like to seek some kind of evidence that students are actually um, in favor of this. Yes. So thank you very much. Trustee Conway? Um, President Boudreau, you mentioned the rules surrounding academic excellence fees, and on that point, I just want to ask the chair, perhaps, as part of this process to sort of outline what's going to happen with academic excellence fees, that we make that clear, because my understanding is when these, when both of these resolutions were originally drafted at City College, they were, in fact, not called academic excellence fees. They were called program premium fees. Correct. And, in fact, there was a belief among the faculty, because they did not specify the funds would go directly back to the specific programs, that they were an attempt to plug a budget gap, which I don't fault you on. As a business person, you've got to plug that somehow. Right. But I just think we need to clarify that mm -hmm. as well going forward. It, that's why we have had the conversations we have had in this meeting up to the moment. And I'm sure that the administration is taking it very seriously. The, the solution for city, not the same, not the solution for everybody else, mm -hmm. will involve the entire university. And a point of clarification, maybe for um, Senior Vice Chancellor Sapienza, when we mentioned before our inability to change tuition unless we do it across the board, mm -hmm. you clarified the accreditation issue in terms of engine or architecture here versus architecture at New York City Tech. <coughs> Does that give us flexibility in terms of tuition if one program is accredited and another is not? No. So regardless, it goes, they they both it goes by the degree. So if it's a master okay. in science, it has to be the same across the board. Thank you. Okay. Are we ready? Uh, I'll move item 2B. Is there a second? Second. Uh, any further discussion? All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Abstaining. Item 2B carries, and while we have uh, President Boudreau here, I'd like to take this opportunity to inquire about the status of the program fee for, we've already discussed it, post-baccalaureate students at City uh, that this committee approved last month. Uh, at President Boudreau's request, the resolution did not go to the full board so that further consultations could take place. But could President Boudreau please provide the committee with a status? Yeah. So. 
to, in the spirit of, <clears throat> continuing in the spirit of candor, um, as we brought that resolution to this committee, um, we had uh, consulted with uh, the faculty council, which is the, the campus-wide governance uh, committee and and was told by the chair that we that we needn't pass through that committee that this this was not a new program it was a, it was a, a kind of curation of existing classes in a program and so we brought it to this committee and uh, two days after um, she called us and said I was wrong you have to consult with us you have to you need a vote so we thought okay we'll take it to a vote. And there was uh, a great deal of discussion because this resolution is going to require some initial investment of philanthropic capital. And in a, in a, in a moment of fiscal austerity, members of the history department and the philosophy said, why not us? Why are you investing in this and not us? And so the, the resolution um, did not pass. But then following that, there was a long procedural debate because there were 11 abstentions. Um, uh, and the, the, the yes, no vote was very, very close. And so the question was, were we following Robert's rule of orders or were we following a different vote? Did, assumption, it, it, did um, uh, abstentions count as a no vote effectively or, or were they taken off the table? And finally, what they decided to do, because the parliamentarian declined to adjudicate this dispute, they revoted last Thursday, <laughs> and after spirited conversation, the resolution passed 20 to 6. So we are now before you with a resolution that is supported by the appropriate governance bodies, I'm happy to say. Which we have already approved. Yes. That makes eminent good sense. Thank you. Quite welcome. Thank you, Dean Thanks for the Okay. okay. Policy item 3B is a resolution requesting that the Board of Trustees adopt a differential tuition charge for a master's and doctorate in public health at the CUNY Graduate School of Public Health and Public Policy, effective the fall of 2018 semester. As set forth in the um, set forth in the schedule accompanying the resolution. The um, School is requesting this increase in order to provide optimal support and opportunity for its students and sustain competitive educational programs. The Graduate School of Public Health and Health Policy will deposit the differential tuition charges in its tuition and fee account and account for and report the differential tuition charges separately by program. Graduate School of Public Health and Health Policy will provide periodic reports to the Board of Trustees Fiscal Committee that will include the collection of differential tuition charges and associated spending to date. By the end of September of each year, the Graduate School of Public Health and Health Policy will provide the Board of Trustees Fiscal Committee with a full accounting of the differential charges spent in the prior fiscal year. And now I'd like to ask um, Dean Iman El Mahandas, the graduate school, to provide further information on the justification and proposed use of these additional tuition charges. Good afternoon, members of the committee. Thank you for allowing me uh, to present our case before you. Um, the school of public, the graduate school of public health and uh, health policy. 
uh, has emerged as a new entity within the university uh, based on the Board of Trustees' decision in uh, October of 2015 and is in the process of uh, growing uh, its mission in fulfilling a high quality graduate education to its students. Uh, since the inception of the MPH program uh, and the, the inception of the school itself in 2008 and the MPH program prior to that, um, for more than 12 years, the tuition for the MPH program has remained the same. I'm uh, actually very happy that uh, Trustee Clark is not around the table because I would have been chastised to make any comparisons with other universities in terms of what they are charging in tuition at this very moment. And as much as it is, of course, important to look at the generosity of the state and the city towards our university and how they have been supportive of the programs, there is no question that graduate programs are more expensive than undergraduate programs. And at this point, we compare ourselves to other comparable graduate programs within the university, including the Masters of Social Work and the Masters of Public Administration, both of which we selected because of the fact that the graduates most of the graduates will go out uh, in public service, within public institutions, not unlike our own graduates. I'm not comparing myself to the MBA program or any other such programs. Uh, the M MSW and the MPA currently, uh, their tuition per credit is 525 and 560 compared to our current 425 per credit hour. Uh, compared to other public institutions, Rutgers University currently charges more than $800 per credit hour, and Stony Brook, with all uh, charges included, charges about $560 per credit hour. So we feel like, uh, compared to public institutions within our geographical location, we are comparable. There are essential components in what we, we do. Yes, sir. Can we just, uh, so our present tuition uh, per credit is what and what are we what are you proposing it be increased to we are currently proposing a graduate a gradual increase in tuition over three years and the reason we chose this approach is not to penalize actual students with a sudden and unanticipated increase so we are increasing our tuition by twenty five dollars the first year fifty dollars the second year and $75 the third year to reach a maximum increase of $150 per credit. We are starting at, five, at $425 currently per credit. And uh, when uh, all is said and done, uh, it will be $575 per credit hour. Do you have this chart that we were provided? Because I don't see this 425 yeah, number. Yeah, no, I, I want to correct it right. It's, it's 440 for fall 2017. Not, not 425. No, 440. Because it does take into consideration the new increase in the university tuition. No, I just wanted to make sure I yeah. understood yeah, what's in 440. Front of me. Okay. Because, because the chart's a little confusing. Yeah. And I just want to make yes, sure sir. for the purpose of clarity. Um, everybody has the same information in this table. Yep. So. By current, you mean what will be effective in fall with a CUNY tuition increase, increase in place. exactly. That's for the master's, right. And, and again, from the student standpoint, to get the degree that you're asking us to approve an increase per credit hour, to get the degree, what's it cost me? The, 40, the 42 credit hours is the required number of credits, so I can easily do it. 
considered a one so and a half, two year program? How long is the the general uh, the general graduation is in three years. Three years. Okay. It is set up for a graduation within two years. But since a large component of our students are part time, many of the students graduate within three years. So the in so over three years, it's nine hundred dollars for correct full time student. Yes. So did you did you say sixty three hundred dollars additional? Right. But what, what's what's the total tuition going to cost after we? Well, the current tuition Prove is if we 440 do. Yeah. times 42 is equal to 18,480. That is the current. So for 18,480, I get my master's degree. My master's in public health. Okay. And we're going to increase it to The first increase for the first year is 25 times 75. What's it total out to? Maybe that, that would be more. 18,480. No, but what is the increase? Oh, that's he's about to tell okay. us. Yeah, I will give you that in a second, please. Yeah. <laughs> it says six thousand seven hundred and forty dollars extra over the next three years. Okay, so we're getting up to about twenty-five thousand dollars, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. I'll just a question. Do you have a model for how this will impact enrollment? Well, we're currently uh, very, uh, very fortunate in the fact that our current uh, enrollment is increasing exponentially over the past year. The first year was, uh, you know, getting our house in order. Uh, this year, we, for the first time, had a spring admission cycle, and during that cycle. Uh, we had almost a 75% increase over the fall semester. And at the current moment, compared to last year, we have 685 applicants compared to 530 applicants last year. Anyone else? Well, just yes, to be, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I don't want to interrupt. No. Just, just to be clear, Matt. Hmm? What we're being asked to do here is to approve a new tuition, correct? Correct. Differential tuition rate. Correct. And we're not constrained by, if I'm reading the whereas clauses correctly, we're not constrained by 6206 no because there is no other comparable to look at. There is no other, right. This is the only uh, master of public health and the only doctorate in okay. public health. Correct. So That's then correct. May maybe you've done this, and I, I don't want to belabor the point much, but can you tell us, since we've been asked to approve a tuition, what's the basis upon which you're setting this tuition? Uh, we are setting it based on other comparable <laughs> master's degree professional programs within CUNY. Mm -hmm. And as I said before, we selected to look at the MPA and the MSW, both of whom the graduates will be employed <coughs> within a similar hierarchical pattern to our own graduates within the public sector. And the MPA currently is charging $525 per credit, and the MSW is charging 560 When we uh, compare ourselves to ourselves, which is looking at needs that need to be fulfilled and enhanced based on the request of our students, two areas that are very essential to us are the career services area, which needs to be expanded significantly, and the advisement area, which needs to be increased significantly. And also the, the uh, what I call it, the 
um, academic enrichment upon entry. Many of our students need additional uh, support in math and in writing and in English. And uh, we need to provide more of these programs to our students geared towards the topical area of learning that, that is ours. And all of these are currently underfunded. In a recent uh, survey for our students, 70% uh, of our students uh, expressed satisfied or very satisfied with the school in general, and 69% expressed satisfied or very satisfied with the faculty. We are going to be focusing entirely on the areas that they're very justifiably expressed as areas that need further strengthening, which I just mentioned. You tell us that your tuition revenue is not enough to cover your programmatic costs at an optimal level. Correct. So what's, what's the delta today? And if we agree to this increase, what will the delta be tomorrow? Well, there are certain areas. First of all, public health is, uh, used to be the, the origins of our program were very social science based. And as our program uh, is increasing its strength in PhD, uh, a doctorate, DPH, and some of the masters of science programs, we are becoming more science based. Uh, some of the dissertation costs for our students are high. Uh, and it delays their graduation because they're unable to meet the costs of the research that they conduct. We need to help them with that. Some of our master's students choose to do more science-based, especially in the area of environmental health. We should be able to help them with that. Uh, some of the, uh, we, we would like to increase the quality of the admitted students by improving merit scholarships. We need to invest some in that. The career services area needs to be buffed up and improved, and we need to invest more in that, as well as the advisement of the incoming students. There are many areas yeah. where we can show tremendous improvement. Look, I, I don't doubt all of that, yes. and I don't doubt the bona fides of the program. It's terrific. I'm just trying to understand, from a budgetary standpoint, when you sit down every year to do your budget, mm -hmm. you have a revenue side, right, that you look Correct. at first. Yes. And your revenue comes from tuition on the one hand, an endowment if you had it, gifts if you get them, Correct. and other. And then you have an expense side. Correct. So I, what I want to know is the tuition on the one hand versus the expense side. What's the difference? What do you have to get on the revenue, on the revenue side of things to make your program balance out, to make your budget balance? Okay, what I can tell you is that we have approximately, at the current moment, we have approximately delayed the hiring of uh, faculty that have left the program in about a budgetary framework of a million dollars currently because we are prioritizing expenditures in areas of deficiency. So we have delayed hiring essential faculty in order to cover that deficit in our budget. If you want to know exactly, last year we collected in tuition about $3.6 million and our expenditures, our, our total budget is about $10.2 million. Uh, so the tuition currently represents uh, about less than 30, you know, about 30. Okay, so how are you filling that hole today between 3.6 and 10.2? Well, I'm, I'm getting uh, the, the generous support of the state of New York through the City University of New York, supports the university, supports the school in its expenses. Uh, but there are areas where we would like to improve. Yeah. 
where we would like additional support. See, it, it just, this is not directed to you. It just begs a much larger question about you know charitable giving, where we're going to try and raise money, and for what, as well as how we present our budget. But I, I appreciate the answer. Thank you. Uh, but uh, no, no, just to respond to that, because in all fairness, yeah. We are a, a very new school. We were established in October 15, and so, no, but your, your point is well taken. And as time goes on, and as we are able to build an endowment for our school, we're going to be able to cover many of these additional expenses. Your point is very well taken. Yeah, I'm just struggling for ways where we can be helpful to you. Of course. Because you have a different job Indeed. in the front lines there. Yes. Okay. Ms. Salvi. My question is, besides the survey that you did, when were students consulted about the these students have consulted in three consecutive meetings right. with the uh, graduate public school, uh, public health association membership. The president, the secretary, and the members of the association were consulted. And I can tell you that the last time uh, we rallied them for another meeting to make sure that they knew that we were presenting this request, they said, oh, we thought you had done that already. So we have discussed it with them very, very extensively. And they support it? They understand very well the need for it, yes. They support it? They support it, yes. <laughs> They'll be gone. Do you, do you have some kind of letter from them or anything that shows that they support uh, it? I wasn't requested to present such sure. material, but it is possible to present it, yes. I would like that then at the public Absolutely. hearing or at Absolutely, we can we can certainly support them. Trustee Cowley. This goes to, I think, the direction that maybe Barry was going, or at least it's the way my mind has been working, having heard various different presentations, not just yours, but City College, the Graduate Center, et cetera. It seems like, and I know there's no clear formula, but we hear what graduates potentially earn, we hear what market demand is, we hear, you know, what we think about enrollment, both enrollment and training doesn't, to John's question of, you know, is there a tipping point when we lose enrollment? And I'm just wondering to what extent is Central providing guidance to the various campuses? Is it raise it what we think we can get right now? Is it, you know, because it's not connected to what their respective budget gaps are. There is some connection to what the market is. We're kind of always trying to be just where the lowest public is in our vicinity, but mm -hmm. what are yeah. we doing in terms of the bigger picture and looking at these? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, as, as we talked about earlier tonight, I mean, this is something that we want to um, establish a process for so that it's clear up front. What we've done um, at, the, at the administrative level in the last year is um, we put together an, inter an internal committee made up of folks from Office of Budget Finance, Office of Academic Affairs, and Office of Student Affairs, so that when a college comes to us with a fee or a differential tuition proposal, we have those areas reviewing it from an academic lens, student affairs lens, and a fiscal lens. Um, and it doesn't come to this committee until that committee has gone through it and asked the questions of the, of the individual campus. But, but going forward, um, yeah, we want to put a process around this so that um, those things are addressed up front. Professor Rosati. Um, so to that matter, CUNY sets a revenue target for the institution, which is uh, based on historical uh, institution there. 
they're $800,000 less than Target in terms of their uh, revenue collection. This particular proposal is about three to 400000 additional dollars, so they'll still be under their revenue target unless there is uh, growth in enrollment, which didn't happen between fall 16 and fall 17. So my, my question is, how does CUNY set that revenue target, and is it mm -hmm. realistic in this instance? Yeah. Well, what we did with the School of Public Health when, we, when it was created in 2015, um, we set up a five-year plan that we, my office and Dean Almohan's office, we sit down probably every quarter and we review where we are um, because we know that it is a plan and this was a new venture and that plans may have to change based on demand and based on other costs. Um, and so we did establish a five-year plan with what estimated revenues would be for each of the years um, and have made adjustments on the fly as we've, as we've you know, learned um, and have better data to go by. So, so that was the basis for setting the revenue targets. Um, and part of that five-year plan is what Dino Mohandas was talking about earlier, was there is a certain level of support that the university is providing through its state-funded budget right now that we'd like to see be reduced in the out years <laughs> as he generates more additional revenues, whether that's through tuition, fundraising, indirect cost uh, recoveries from additional grant activity, and the like. But to go to Professor Verzani's question, according to, to this sheet of paper, which has been given to us, mm -hmm. your enrollment is off by 14 uh, full-time uh, Graduate students, FTE. yeah, FTEs. We Why are, is that? Well, first it's related of all, to your, your tuition year, charges. Do you think? No, there are there are two things. First of all, our goals were set based on a total FTE baseline uh, that actually was inaccurate, and Matt is aware of that because one of the programs upon which this basis was uh, calculated was a program that was left behind at Hunter College, which right. was the nutrition MS program. That was not taken into consideration, and these are 30 FTEs. So if you take these 30 FTEs out of the baseline and you take the tuition revenue out of the tuition revenue, we are actually whole and increasing. So nonetheless, we are do making a very concerted effort to enhance our enrollment. Number one, as I said, we enrolled 85, unprecedented, 85 students in the spring. We had never had a spring admission cycle. And at the, this very current moment, we have 680 applicants compared to the 530 that we had last year. I'm quite certain that we're catching up. We are going to be in the process of recalculating our base so we don't appear to be in the red every year based on the fact that the original calculation was slightly inflated. And you're comfortable, based upon the analysis you've done, that this tuition increase that you're asking for is not going to drive students away from your school? I, I don't believe that it will, because all our local competitors are charging much, much higher than that. I mean, I, am, I, I'm, I will say that fully knowing that we should not be comparing ourselves to Columbia University or mm -hmm. NYU that doesn't even have an accredited school. NYU without an accredited school is charging 1650 per credit. 
and we are charging 425. You need to hire their marketing person. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> they are a hundred. Brand. Brand, brand does a whole brand. lot in yeah, this, exactly. in this I marketing. Have, I, have, I have my my sources of information that tell me that there are 100 students behind their target. Yeah. So uh, the, the Columbia University charges 1,750. But I'm not comparing myself to them at all. I'm comparing myself to other professional public professional master's level training within this university, which is the MPA and the MSW. Thank you. Just okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Just one follow-up on something that you said earlier, Dean. You talked about the yes, faculty. Has been holding oh, I'm sorry. The I have no questions. Question. Oh, good. No, no okay. Hmm? Um, you talked about the fact that you haven't filled faculty lines that have left. And when we had budget advisory committee a week ago, we looked at faculty per 1,000 FTEs across the university and right. commented on the fact that yours were the highest, which is a good thing. As a faculty member, I'd like to see more full-time faculty. But the reality is, you were so much higher than every other division, it would seem to me that the university wouldn't be saying you're going to ever fill those faculty lines without huge increases in enrollment. I just want to make sure that just, are, are we uh, on the same yeah. page, or is that I wouldn't want his faculty to be thinking, yes, we're refilling those faculty lines. Uh, I have an answer for that, and I will tell you that if you look at the research revenue of the School of Public Health this year, we will be closing our books with close to $8.5 million with 50 faculty, which amounts to $170,000 of research funding per FTE, which is by far the highest in this university. Nice. Our faculty are research faculty, and their role is not only to teach, but to teach and to do research. And as such, we are wildly successful in growing our research portfolio, which started from $2.6 million when the, at the initial phase of the school to $8.8 .8 million this year. That's an excellent response. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> <laughs> no, and on great. that note, thank you, <laughs> Dean El Mahandas. Right, exactly. um, I'll move approval of item like, no. 3B. Is there a second? Second. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Abstaining. The item carries. Thank, thank you very thank much. Thank you all very much for listening to me. Yeah. Um, nice listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> Item 4B is a resolution requesting the university engage Educational Advisory Board to provide an academic advisement and predictive analytic software system and related consulting services to CUNY's senior colleges. The contract is being awarded after a public advertisement and timely submission sealed proposals pursuant to law and university regulations. The contract term shall be five years and shall not exceed an aggregate $10,851,000 over the contract term. This predictive analytic software system is a comprehensive software and consulting services solution that encompasses academic advisement, caseload management, predictive analytics, early warning, student communications tools, student-facing mobile application, the student onboarding, and student re and support resources. And now I'll call on uh, Executive Vice Chancellor Vita Rabinovitz to provide the committee with further information on this item. Thank you. I'd like to invite my associate, uh, Associate Provost Robert Amaruga. Um, colleagues, we have been interested in procuring this um, product for over two years. There is no um, predictive analytics product 
that has had nearly the um, effectiveness of this one in the marketplace to provide our advisors with the information uh, they need, with the tools they need, based on data generated from CUNY students to, um, to give the best advising possible, to provide the best reports possible. Uh, they provide the best services in the area. And there is no one single thing I believe we can do that will move the needle on graduation rates other than provide this quality of advising to give our advisors these tools. This product will only be available in the senior colleges. Frankly, it's where it's most necessary. It is where our advising core is um, the thinnest. And uh, you know, again, I believe it will make a necessary Sure, I thought I would tell you sort of what the uh, system functions are of the product, uh, why we believe it's a good uh, value for the amount of money we're spending, um, how we're going to evaluate how useful it is over time, and, and tell you some about some of the due diligence that we've done on the product already. So uh, the academic advisement and predictive analytics system has uh, several functions that will be useful to both our academic advisors, our administrators, and our students. It includes an advisement caseload management system with an academic profile of every student that comes from our student information system. It includes, uh, it'll include a risk profile of every student based on credits earned, uh, course registrations, GPA, GPA trend, performance in critical courses in the major. Uh, and it will do uh, predictive analytics both at a cohort level and at an individual student level. Uh, it also includes uh, appointment scheduling and uh, what we call a coordinated care network. So uh, an academic advisor can make an appointment with, uh, uh, for a student with a tutoring center uh, and then get a report back about whether the student showed up for the appointment or not. The, uh, and it will include the wiring of all of our support centers so that uh, when, a, when a student comes in, that we'll, we'll have good data on how many students use our services. It will include an early warning system so that uh, faculty can provide uh, uh, alerts if, student, if a student has missed too many classes or isn't performing well or needs uh, assistance in a particular area, the academic advisor can be informed. Uh, it includes uh, a communication system so that the advisor can reach out to students by either text or email. Uh, and it includes a number of uh, dashboards and reports for uh, uh, administrators and advisors about all of their caseload and for administrators about uh, for the whole student body or for particular cohorts and groups within the student body. For example, Sikh students, first-time freshmen, athletes, uh, 
any sort of group, we can do reports on how they're doing academically. Um, it will also include a, a student-facing app about which it will include a guide to all the college services at every college and include deadline reminders related to the academic calendar, uh, any information, bursar information, financial holds, uh, this kind of thing. Uh, it sounds like something CUNY first should be doing. <laughs> Sorry. It went down the wrong way. Go ahead, please. <laughs> so that doesn't require for uh, <laughs> for two million a year. We two two point two million dollars a year. Uh, we think this is a pretty good investment. We spend at our at the twelve senior colleges. We spend about uh, fifty million on academic support every year. We have just short of uh, five hundred. Uh, academic support personnel uh, at the 12 colleges where, where this will be implemented. Um, and, and the advisors have pretty big uh, uh, caseloads, up to 400 or more per advisor. So if you look at spending $2 million a year on top of $50 million a year, will the functionality that this caseload system, will it help improve are the productivity of our academic advisors by better than four percent? Uh, we think it will. We think this that this will will be you know a significant change for our students. Uh, and sort of looking at the same th thing another way, would we rather spend two million a year on this product to give tools to all of our advisors or or? Would we rather hire 21 academic advisors and distribute them among the 12, 12 colleges? And we think that it makes sense to give the tools to our academic advisors. And finally, if we improve, uh, just improving retention by 330 students a year would, would bring in, would allow us to keep tuition for the product. So overall, we think that it's a pretty good investment. So how we're going to evaluate it uh, over to make sure it's living up to our expectations, it's going to take some time to implement. So at the beginning, we're going to look at implementation metrics like um, how many, you know, the implementation schedule at every college, how many colleges are using the predictive model, uh, and then later we're going to look at GPA, we're going to look at uh, credit retention, and then in the long term, uh, graduation. Uh, and we've talked to a number of colleges, uh, Georgia State, Stony Brook, University of Massachusetts, Amherst. Everyone says that this company provides great service, um, and they've, they've shown uh, results in terms of retention and graduation, uh, you know, Georgia State's had, uh, has improved their graduation rates by 22% in 10 years. So uh, that's basically our summary of the product. Uh, anyone? You want to make a motion first and then discuss it, or you want to discuss it and make a motion first, sir? Thank you, Trustee Burke. I was just <laughs> taken by this. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll move it. Second? Second. Okay, discussion. 
Um, this sounds like a, a terrific program and something that we should have had for years. My question is, you know, given what we're doing with ASAP and the community colleges, uh, why are we limiting this to the senior colleges? Don't the community colleges need the same kind of analytics and the same kind of programs and support? The, this specific product is, is made for four-year colleges, and a lot of the, and many of the predictive analytics rely on uh, data about your academic performance in, in the first year or two. So in the first year there's all of, of your, at a community college, you're, you're not going to get the same sort of meaningful results from the predictive analytics for community colleges. Also, a number of our community colleges uh, have uh, a, a caseload management system already. LaGuardia has a homegrown system, and uh, most of our other community Starfish. colleges have a, a system from Starfish. Don't you think we should rationalize it and try to? <laughs> I believe the community college product by EAB is relatively new. Uh, yes. That, that it, so it's not as well tested either as the senior college. Uh, Something we should keep an eye on, but please. But it is. Yes. Mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. to, to go to your point, Trustee Berger, <clears throat> my memory is and at Sepianza can correct me, is we had a vigorous discussion about this very program at this very committee two plus years ago. Uh, the committee endorsed the program, asked the questions you asked about community college, and it was a new program then two years ago. So there's probably some uh, there's probably greater some data, data on that yes, program. That's right. That's right. Uh, proposal was then made to the board of trustees and it was uh, discussed um, and it was approved and now it's two years later when we're back at square one and, and my question is why are we back at square one two years later the the original proposal that we brought to the board we were attempting to piggyback off an existing contract with one of the SUNY campuses SUNY that, Albany. that had a predictive analytics system. Um, but the state controller um, rejected that because we were um, proposing for a system for all of our senior colleges. So it was a system-wide implementation, and they, they felt in their review of our proposal that that was much different from a single campus implementation and that we weren't allowed to piggyback off of that contract. So we had to do a full-blown RFP and go through the entire procurement process. And that's why we're back here <laughs> to the fiscal committee with this. So with this if we approve this and then the board approves it, how long thereafter will you be able to implement this throughout CUNY and the senior colleges? Well, the contract will have to be registered and approved by the state controller's office, um, which will probably take you know, a couple of months. Um, but I think we're trying for implementation for the fall. That's right. For fall semester. That would be very good. Yes. Mm -hmm. Just um, you uh, have, have your questions been satisfied? Yes. You met, somebody mentioned Starfish. Is Starfish an EAB product? No, it's a competitor. Oh, I thought, okay, so that was my question. Why? Are we using a different competitor's product in 
the community colleges versus here. I understand you said this was designed for the four-year, but I'm just trying to think sort of long-term when we've got different products mm -hmm. across different campuses. We also have a, a, a product called BART, an early warning system that I know has been at BMCC and piloted. So I, I just I don't sort of understand that thinking again of going down the path of having one set of tools for counselors in one college and a different set for someone else and entering into agreements with different companies. Well, in this case, we went through the RFP process. We looked at the three main vendors in this space, and the committee uh, overwhelmingly uh, chose uh, EAB as the best product. I'm, I mean, and that's what I, I understand the and. This was an RFP for the senior colleges for a four-year college product, and, and there are different products for, for two-year colleges. So uh, maybe we could have gone about it in a different way, but, but this is where we are now. So the Starfish product that's used at the community colleges, did it go through this process? And No. no. The, the Colleges bought it. Each college that has it bought it individually. Let me see if I understand what it is that you just presented to us. Is the use of this, assuming the committee approves this, optional for senior colleges? No. no. It is not. No. Was it ever contemplated that I made a crack about CUNY first, but it's actually not in completely inappropriate. Is there any uh, thought that this is going to be integrated into our IT system at some point, or are we going to continue to have one-offs here, there, and everywhere? This is a, this is a, a cloud-based service that will work with, get data from CUNY First. We couldn't have done it without having CUNY First and without having the data available on our student information service, and it will and it will complement what uh, it will complement what we have with degree works. Do do different things, but build on uh, degree works. And we think that that we can use all three products together holistically. Uh, I, that that you know, there's not one product that does everything, but just like you use. Uh, Excel and Word, you can use, I mean, those are both Microsoft products, but you can use these three uh, products together. We can. Or university. The, the university can, yes. yes. Okay. Mr. Vizzani. Um, in asking colleagues at CSI, I heard no one single thing can do more to I think maybe they got it from you, but I think that was independent. Um, so my question is not about the effectiveness of it. Um, earlier this year, we saw a presentation about a proposed savings of $75 million, and one of the pieces there was a retention part through software. Is that this piece, or are we anticipating another piece in addition to this? And I don't know that you would know the answer to that. Well, that, uh, that presentation was done earlier in the year that, um, yeah, we were contemplating that um, this would be, when, when we did a presentation about potential savings items and what the investments would be resulting in, um, we were 
um, proposing this piece that it would help retention. And if you recall that presentation, the, the reason we were going through that is because we knew we had to make some investments that we couldn't just save $75 million. In order to save $75 million, in order to um, achieve enhancements in things like retention rates, we had to make some IT investments of which, of which this was one of them. So at that meeting, if I recall, there was a relatively modest uh, improvement of retention percentage. I, I want to say it was like just around 0.4%. Is that... 330 students uh, university-wide. That's what you expect, or is that the that's, that's what it would. That's, what, that's the break-even number. I'm not asking that. What okay. do you expect? I mean, oh. if we were to benchmark it, you gave me some benchmarks on rollout, which is... But in terms of sure. the retention rate, you have that as your secondary evaluation metric. Do you, do you have a number you're expecting from that? So uh, Stony Brook has increased in... And they're a fairly new customer. Uh, they've increased their retention of uh, upperclassmen by about a percentage point. But, I mean, can they point to that being causal? You mentioned Georgia it's, State as well, and I, I sort of feel like there are a lot of other things that have gone yes. on at Georgia State. Yes. That I'm uh, not going to say it's I, based on their using this software system. Uh, I'm. Uh, these aren't academic studies that this this isn't like first-rate social science that mm -hmm. is attributing uh, the, the causation of use of this system to the outcomes and I think in our case too it's going to be uh, a number of things happening at the same time to get better results it's not going to be you know one thing by itself sure. mm -hmm. may I add to your point I couldn't agree more with Bob um, and and uh, and John, um, this uh, it's very hard to attribute all of the positive changes in the colleges in which it's been introduced. Have too much meaning. However, sometimes you, it is a little bit like flipping a switch. This particular intervention, and so when there's a change in the inflection point, you you you're more confident saying that this product caused. Don't have to, you're a statistician, you're a, right, also a quantitative. President Cruz. Yes, I'm a firm believer of robust analytics to drive student success, um, but I, based on some of the questions that have been made in my previous um, experience with this uh, platform in particular and the rollout, just wanted to throw a few things on the table. Mm -hmm. One is um, a question was raised about how quickly we will start using the, the platform. And I will say that the change management aspect of this uh, work um, is intense. Um, it requires significant campus engagement of IT, enrollment management, and academic affairs. And I just throw that on the table because we have this administrative excellence uh, set of uh, tasks that we have to uh, undertake. And I wonder if we need to think very carefully about the rollout and the project management. There's also a situation uh, whereby many of the features that are presented in the, by this platform are either being taken care of by legacy systems or other competitive, competitive product, products. And so a significant amount of retooling of the processes and the training of the frontline personnel needs to be included. And so that elevates a $2.2 million cost per year uh, to a significant operational cost that I don't know if it has been um, uh, accounted for. Um, and a third thing that I would say is that uh, the proprietary nature of it. 
Um, so as uh, the chairman asked about, uh, that's something maybe CUNY First should do. And so the question is, um, are there predictive analytic, um, open platform predictive analytic tools that can build into uh, the business intelligence modules of CUNY First? Um, and that way, uh, not subject us to a yet a third uh, proprietary platform. So those are just some, some, some thoughts. Those are very good thoughts. We got very good answers? Yes, sir. <laughs> I think we need to, uh, so as you know, we're, in, we're investing in CUNY Smart, which is, uh, uh, we're, we're going to have to learn to do some of these things ourselves over time. Uh, right now, if, if, if we're facing the build it versus buy it system, we have the urgent need for our students. I think the, the buy it makes more sense given the timing and, and our ability to uh, build out what we have internally in CUNY first. But in the long run, uh, I think where we should be is, is not, not buying, uh, you know, proprietary algorithm, algorithms for, from a vendor, but doing it ourselves. There was so much more <laughs> in President Cruz's. Uh, uh, yeah. So, so that, I mean, I guess that just addressed. Well, that's. So I guess the other um, has to do with the actual implementation. So have we thought about the institutional cost of implementation, not only in the abstract, but also in, on top of the many other demands that we will have in the next year or two? And who's going to drive this and be accountable for it? So it's. It's, uh, I think, in academic affairs, in CUNY Central, I will. In terms of all of the colleges, there are, there are uh, five, there's a business owner at every college and five people at every college who, uh, who need to be involved in all of the decisions related to the, uh, in, in implementation in, in the first year, especially, there's a significant amount of time by those people and a significant training investment that in, t in terms of time for our academic advisors. And that is something that you know, we've been you know, letting, talking to the colleges about for a couple of years now and something that we just need to do. And something that we, in terms of the actual cost that's being proposed here as part of this resolution tonight, this about $2.2 million a year, what we've agreed with the senior colleges with is that we would split it 50-50. So the university is going to pay about $1.1 million a year. The colleges, the senior colleges will split the remaining $1.1 amongst the 12 colleges. So for each of the 12, it's only going to be about $100,000 a year. Um, so if they use that 100000 to go hire advisors, they maybe could hire two advisors, maybe. <laughs> so this will be a much more powerful use of that $100,000 per campus um, than going out and hiring advisors. Mr. Chairman, if I may ask you to consider, once we implement this, if we do, uh, to invite you back uh, to each of our meetings to report to us because this is a very critical tool mm -hmm. that we are implementing. And, and the way we're approaching and, yeah. it is approve a contract. Right. And there's so much more to this. There is. Mm -hmm. There is. And in, in, in fact, colleagues, one thing I would say is 
if this company did not have the reputation for service that it does, um, and if we had not come to know them over several years, we would not be as enthusiastic despite its success. We understand this will be, this, this is a very big deal for CUNY. It will force us to get better. It will, I mean, it will be challenging for us. We will have to meet standards and coordinate things as we've not done before. Um, we believe, though, that it's an incredibly important step for us to take if we're going to reach the next Are you confident that we will be able to ramp up sufficient so we'll meet um, our obligation to provide this service and get all the information in place and get all the people trained uh, when our new crop of students comes and our existing students? Trustee Ferreira, I can't tell you for sure that I know that we'll be on schedule to do this. That is my hope. I know we can do it. And what, what we haven't yet focused on is, while the colleges do differ in their enthusiasm for the product, we have many colleges, Baruch among them, that has asked for this product for, for um, that has begged us for this product, and we'll we'll, we'll go it alone if we do, if we don't uh, if we don't join together. Our feeling is strongly will be we will be stronger together if we can get all the colleges together. They've agreed. We've come up with a model that I think is right financially. And am I confident? You ask. I'm hopeful that we can um, that we can get this implemented when we want to, how we want it. I'm confident that we can do it, in, you know, in, in the uh, in the long term. Um, Bob, in terms of getting to Trustee Ferrer's point, when do you th we start implementing in the fall? When, it's what is the, the timeline? The, the implementation process is about a year, is about a year long process of building it out, configuring out, configuring it. There's some functionality that's available immediately and there's some uh, value that we'll get immediately, but most of the value will be, uh, you know, starting uh, a year from now. So we have a year of tooling up, essentially. Yes, yes we yes. do. Yes, yes, we do. Right. Anyone else? All right. I'll move approval of this item. Is there a second? Oh, you did that. Well, did. <laughs> well this is a thoroughly confusing <laughs> item. I'm keeping an eye on you. <laughs> Mr. Chairman, <laughs> I'm really glad you are. Um, good. Very good. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Abstaining? It passes. Uh, there are no more items on the policy calendar, so thank you both. Uh, we'll now move to the information yeah. items <laughs> on our agenda and invite um, Before you our CFO, Matt Sapienza, to give us a report on the 2019 state enacted budget and on the university's third quarter financial report. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, so since we've last met, as you all are aware, the state budget was enacted for fiscal 2019. An analysis was sent to all of the trustees, um, and it's also on CUNY's website. That summarizes the, the budget. I, I will not go through the entire analysis. It's been sent to you already, but just very quickly, it was a good result for us. The senior colleges are looking at a $76 million increase, which is made up of $45 million for additional fringe benefit costs, $31 million 
recognizing the $200 increase for fall 2018, year two of the predictable tuition policy, and one and a half million for the transition for our new uni school of labor and urban studies. Community colleges got received a $100 base aid increase, which generates net about $5 million in new money for the community colleges. So that was a very positive result. And all of the legislative restorations that we were seeking were, were put back. So again, a good result from the enacted state budget. Anything requested that didn't get funded? Um, well, our budget request um, has, you know, a list of um, of our strategic framework items that we would like to fund, and none of those were specifically funded, with the exception of the School of Labor and Urban Studies. Um, but we do have additional resources from tuition. We are going to generate additional resources from administrative excellence. And so what we're at our next meeting of this committee on June 4th, we're going to come back and propose to the committee what our budget allocations will be for next year, including some of those strategic frameworks. And there was one, there was one budget line that was cut, actually. Was that the... The one item, when I mentioned earlier about the legislative restorations being, being put back, all of them were fully restored with the exception of one item, which was CUNY in the Heights. We received $200,000 last year and received $100,000 this year. So that was the only item that was and Can we make that up internally? Um, that's something that we'll take a look at, yes, as part of the part of the budget going forward. It's not a big line item, but you mentioned it, and I just want clarification. The School of Labor Studies received yes. an incremental $1.5 Correct. And have you put a number against what it will actually cost to make them an independent school? I mean, we've got a million and a half, but it's going to cost us $10 million. That's not really a win. Right. Well, for next year, we're seeking another, uh, an additional $800,000 on top of that $1.5 Okay. Will that be enough? <laughs> it, it'll be enough for next year, um, but in total, we were seeking $4.1 million over three years. Um, so we have 1.5, but we're still, to fully ramp up over three years, we're going to need another 2.6. And what is that 4.1 million? Is it hiring a president? I mean, they're going to stay in the space it's, they're in? What is right. That? It's it's faculty. Um, it's advisors. 4.1 is, th is three-year funding, Over three right? years, right. Mm -hmm. It's faculty. It's advisors. It's creating the administrative infrastructure because they're going to need, um, you know, a bursar or a registrar and all that, so, all those positions. again, just to clarify, is the plan to have them be independent when we fully achieve reaching the 4.1? Or, like, are we going into deficit mode for the next two years? No, I, well, we're still seeking $800,000, and we have to play out the city budget process right. as well. We need the city council to restore 940000 that was put in this year's budget. Um, and then once the city budget is adopted, we'll see where we are, and that may be something that we'll have to cover, or we may have to slow down okay, the expansion right. um, plans that we have. Okay. Anyone else? Okay. Let me quickly go to the third quarter financial report, which we issued um, last week. And again, thanks to our budget director, Kathy Abada, and her staff for their good work. Um, just very briefly, I'll go to the summary page, which is on page five. Um, and again, just jumping too quickly to the last column, the projected year-end balance. All of our colleges, now that we're in quarter three, are projected to end the year in a surplus condition. Um, however, there are some, especially senior colleges, about a handful or so, that are um, cutting it very close to the edge um, in terms of a surplus or deficit. And so we're working very closely with each of them 
um, to make sure that they end in the balanced condition. And um, not only working with them for this year, but also trying to work with them to make plans for next year so that they, we avoid this situation going forward and put them back on, on better financial footing. Um, the community colleges, uh, again, all doing real well. And uh, community colleges, as you know from our discussion at this committee on the mid-year report, we did a mid-year adjustment of $7 million based on our lower enrollment and resultant loss of, of uh, state base aid. And the community colleges have done a very good job just within the last couple of months of reducing expenditures. Um, and so they're you know, pretty much all in a pretty good um, financial condition. Kingsborough, as we've talked about here, has had some enrollment challenges. And so they're using up a bit of their reserves um, to end in a positive condition. But again, community colleges in a much more stable situation at this point. So, um, so we're looking positive in terms of all the colleges ending in a in a surplus condition. I do want to point out one other new data element that we have in this report, and I want to thank Trustee Conway and Professor Verzani um, for their good suggestion, and that comes in our staffing section, which starts on page 20, full-time staffing. Um, what we've done here, and I'm going to jump to page um, 22. We've added some columns on the right-hand side of this page that show the staffing per 1,000 full-time equivalent students. Um, so this page on page 22 is Instructional Departmental Research, which is essentially our teaching staff. So you can see we have the number of faculty uh, for fall 2015, fall 2016, spring 2018. Um, show the changes. And then over to the right-hand side, we have the teaching staff per 1,000 FTE by campus. So um, something that the University Faculty Senate requested. Um, we think this was a good change to the report because it does show some good comparisons by campus in terms of um, staffing per FTE. And that's there for every what we call major purpose. So whether it's teaching, whether it's maintenance and operations, general administration, student support, um, it's there. And I'm going to jump really quickly to page 33. Um, which is the summary of staff per 1,000 FTE by major purpose for the spring semester. So you can see all of the columns going across. Those are what we call the major purposes. Um, and then for each college, what the staffing is per 1,000 um, FTEs, student FTEs. Um, so you can see those comparisons. So again, thank you to the Faculty Center for that, for that suggestion. I think at some point, Matt, it would be helpful to share with this committee the data that Kathy put together for us on the trends in staffing for FTE, mm -hmm. where we see that essentially it hasn't moved over the last 10 years. Yeah, and um, what Trevor Kahn is referring to is as, as a an, um, addendum to this request, the faculty didn't also asked for to look at this data over 10 years, which Kathy and the folks in the University Budget Office put together. Um, so while enrollment has gone up quite significantly over 10 years, it's gone up by 27,000 students. It's gone up by 15% over 10 years. Um, the staffing has also increased, but each major purpose is different in terms of how that compares to the 15%. Some are more, some are less. So we do have that data, and, and we'll be able to uh, present it to the committee for, for the next meeting. Is there anyone else? Professor Bazzani. Yeah, I 
have a quick question. So I was tracking Medgar at the mid-year, and they had a significant deficit, and now they have a projected year-end balance. And I compared to the mid-year reports, and I saw their expenditures didn't go down. They actually slightly went up. And I'm curious how it's possible that the only thing that really changed was a pending allocation. Mm -hmm. um, were they, was there an injection of money in there? Yes, there is some additional university support that we provide to make during the current year. Um, and there were some slight changes on their expenses and revenues from the mid-year, but, um, but there is some additional university support being provided. Relative to that answer, um, we heard um, some of the reasons why President Boudreau was proposing increases. What are we doing about that? Because that doesn't seem to show up on any of this, and there seems to be a disconnect. <coughs> Um, in terms of the, the fee increases. Yeah, he's saying he, he has some real deficits he's facing. Right. So City College um, is ending the year on this report in a positive condition in terms of their year-end balance is going to be $2.9 million. The concern with City College is um, within this number is the City College schools that we were talking about earlier, engineering, architecture, all of the schools within City College and the medical school. And so the medical school has a, a balance and the rest of City College is having deficit conditions and that's resulting in the balance of the year end being almost $3 million. And so- That's attributable to? Yeah, the, the medical school um, needing to build up its reserves as a, as a new program and having a um, expansion plan over the next several years. So if you factored them out, that's city, right. City's got a problem. City's got a problem, and so how are we grow, how are we grappling with it? Right. We've been working uh, with President Boudreaux and his team um, over the last several months. I have to say, um, very encouraged by President Boudreaux being very transparent with his college community um, as to what the the numbers are and what the situation is, and um, really taking ownership of the budget, which has been good. Um, so we are working with them to try to find ways to reduce spending, increase revenues. Um, but that also may be a situation for next year um, as part of the budget we're going to bring to this committee that we may have to provide some additional support. And we are providing additional support to City College in the current year in addition to Medgar Evers. Um, but we may have to address that as part of the budget that so we I'm bring to this committee um, in, at the June 4th meeting. So City College had a $6 million projected deficit on the first quarter report, and now it's down to 1.8. And they took, at, at the mid-year, at least a million dollars in PS reduction. And still, they have by far the highest full-time staff per FTE. Mm -hmm. um, it's nearly 50% more than College of Staten Island, which is sort of in the middle of many institutions. So I think before we talk about more support, there needs to be a systematic look at uh, the staffing model that they're employing there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely something that they're no question. Um, you cited transparency at City College, which we welcome and we pushed hard for. We had a suggestion the other day at the budget workshop that Kathy was kind enough to lead. We had a full house, no, no extra seats, so you can see it's of interest to our faculty. Um, when it requires in the CUNY Manual of General Policy that when a college president submits his budget, Mm -hmm. He's supposed to also submit the written feedback recommendations of the college personnel and budget committee. As far as I know, this has never happened at any campus. And a large part of the problem is that the campuses don't feel 
well, first of all, campuses don't realize that that's required. Personnel and budget committees are made up of faculty. They rotate in and out of budget committees, et cetera. And there's a lack of transparency. I mean, what's going on at city is going on for a reason, and it's new, and it hasn't been going on elsewhere. So a good suggestion was made that we follow the model similar to what the Office of Academic Affairs has to do when a new program is put forward at CUNY. They have to submit a cover sheet that says, you know, it's been looked at, it's been signed off by the appropriate governance, et cetera. You currently direct the campuses when you send out their letter. You say, please consult right. with the appropriate student well, and faculty yeah. governance. We said, you, said you must consult. You must consult, right. exactly. And, and we've also worked with you on that language to Correct. make it um, more stringent, I guess. But consult is very broad. And they have budget committee meetings. They make a presentation. And they say they've consulted. And sometimes, I can attest to this, they had those budget committee meetings after they've already made the submission. What we would like going forward, since it's a requirement in CUNY's manual general policy, we'd like them to have to submit a cover sheet with their budget request that says this has been, yeah. you know, et cetera, by faculty governance, and have the faculty governance leader and the student governance leader, whoever else is supposed to have been consulted with, sign off on it and say, yes, we met on XYZ dates. No, it's interesting. On Friday, when Kathy was giving the presentation to the Faculty Senate, I met one of your members, well, who I won't name, in the elevator. And this person said, you know, there was a great suggestion that was made, which was this, about the consultation with elected student faculty leaders, that there'd be a formal sign-off that the president say, I met with the elected student leaders on this date, I met with the elected faculty leaders on that date, and that's it's signed off. So, so yeah, I think it's a really good suggestion um, and something that Kathy and I will talk about and work with the colleges to, to implement. Because there already is the requirement that they provide their written recommendations, and nobody's enforcing that at Central. So, yeah, no, I think it's, I think it is a helpful suggestion. You know, in years past, when we first had the language about consultation, um, I think what was happening was there was consultation with some students and some faculty, and then we said it had to be with elected student leaders. But um, but I, I do like the suggestion about having a formal sign off, and um, that's something that we'll we'll work to implement. Great, thank you. If there's nothing else, our agenda is exhausted. <laughs> so is so your committee. Right? So is the majority of the committee. So uh, may I have a motion to adjourn? Second. Second. All in favor. This meeting is adjourned. Thank you.